I'm Grant. And I'm Dave. And this is The Commentary Cast, a podcast bringing you missing commentaries and first-hand insights from the filmmakers behind the streaming content you love. In this week's episode, we talk to director Sam Hargrave about his awesome film, Extraction. Boom, bat, pow, Dave. Holy moly, this is a lot of movie for the low, low price of whatever it is that you pay for your Netflix subscription. Well, you know, I do love me a good action movie, and I also love me a little bit of Chris Hemsworth, Mr. Thor himself, bringing it. Yeah, well, you get a whole lot of Chris Hemsworth in this movie, so you must have loved it, Dave. Uh, yeah, so he plays Tyler Rake. What a name. A fearless black market mercenary embarks on the most deadly extraction of his career when he's enlisted to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord. Shall we listen to the trailer? Let's. They're hoping if you spin the chamber enough times, you're gonna catch a bullet. It's just easy that way. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of boom, bap, pow. There was some uh, very meaty and visceral sound going on there. Uh, I was watching the video along, but it does not transcend uh the, the the audio podcast thing for what i was seeing but the hopefully the the sound effects just do a lot of justice there yeah i think people get a sense for what they're in for uh and at this point i think everybody on the planet has already seen extraction uh which deservedly so i should say but we hope to bring a new perspective to it today as everybody gets to watch along at home and hear from the man himself mr sam hargrave about how the hell he made this film so yeah, this was uh, Sam's directorial debut, um, treading a little bit of a, a pathway that's uh, that's having a little bit of resurgence. This stuntman become director, uh, churning out some very fine movies in a yeah a between of talent. you know Sam and Nash Edgerton and David Leach. Like there's a there's a run of great filmmakers bringing their their storytelling through action gifts to uh, feature film directing. Yeah, well, let's get into it. And for those that are new to our podcast, Grant and Sam are going to be having a conversation while watching the film. And if you listen for the cue to hit play, you can watch along too, or just listen along at your own leisure. Let's do it. Boom, bat pow. Sam, thank you so much for joining us here on the Commentary Cast. It is an extreme honour to have basically the hottest director talking about the hottest movie on streaming right now. Well, I don't know about all that, but uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate your time. Uh, It's such a huge, bombastic, fun, mind-blowing production. I don't know how the hell you guys made this happen. Uh, Some pretty smart people, I'm guessing. And a lot of Netflix money. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's very fortunate that Netflix believed in the project. They believed in, you know, the Russo brothers and, and me and Hemsworth. And they did. They put up some, some good money for, the, for a movie like this, which normally in a theatrical kind of the system, the studio system would not get this kind of budget. And so I'm very thankful for that. But then, you know, definitely as a director, my number one job is to hire people that are smarter than me. Because if I'm the smartest person in the room, that's the wrong room to be in. That's how I like to record podcasts as well. I, I like to make sure that the guests are smarter than I am. And I'm pretty sure that's the case today. Well, like, let's, let's t- start the movie. There'll be plenty of time to talk about all the kind of things that I'm interested in talking about. And I'm certainly uh, interested to hear what you have to say about 
this hell of a movie where, where everyone needs to strap themselves in. We're going on a big ride today. Um, I'll give everyone a second to queue up their Netflix and uh, be ready to hit play in three, two, one. We are away. I have to start at the the beginning, right? Like, because you've had an incredible journey to to get to this point. Like, you you basically um, set yourself on fire, throwing yourself out of windows. You know, been hit by cars to find yourself in this hot seat, right? You, you're coming out of a background in stunts. That's true. Yeah, I, I started my career in the stunt uh, world as a as a stunt man, then stunt double, and then I kind of quickly. Uh, started uh, coordinating fights, choreographing fights for the likes of Chad Stahelski and David Leach. And then, you know, stunt coordinating became uh, something that I was into. And and a lot of that came from just really wanting to have more creative input. You know, I I really wanted to have um, some, a little more control and that ultimately, you know, the stunt career led to me, led me to where I am today. Yeah, I mean, the, the incredible thing about your fights, and I've, I've certainly seen a number of them, and so has everyone else, because you've been doing them on the biggest films of all time. Like, they're incredibly kind of visceral, impactful, but also character-focused, and, and, and they're always moving the story forward, and clear, comprehensible, and, like, this whole film is ultimately a showcase for that. Um, I mean, it's the perfect first film for you, I'd have thought. Yeah, glad you noticed because that that has been my goal with movies is to uh, with action in movies and now then with this movie is to make um, make the action clear, make sure you can see what's happening and then understand what why like the motivations and 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 all that stuff. Because uh, if you if you're just doing action for the sake of action, it's it's just bad theater. You have to care about the characters who are going through these actions in order for it to have an impact. So. That's the that's the goal, and hopefully we achieve that here. So, and what better way to start off if you're caring about somebody to put them in extreme peril, <laughs> and then find out yes, how they got there, you know? Was that something that was in the script from the outset, or something you found in editing? Uh, we found this actually that from the outset. I mean, it was a different kind of peril. Like it was, it did kind of start closer towards the climax like with an action scene and then go backwards but it wasn't this particular one we just when we got in there and arranged it how it was originally scripted we were like hmm but you know it works but let's try it's it feels very you know um that's not the right word but we went back and tried some different things and we came up with this now real quick that hilariously that i didn't know this about and this is any um you know, anybody's dream as a, as a um, filmmaker is we were able to go back in and change the color of that title after the movie had been seen by 80 million people. <laughs> we, they, they opened it back <laughs> That's up. Amazing. And some, because somebody, you know, and I, not to say I don't care, it's important, all that stuff's important, but they, you know, it was too green to one of the executives at, uh, at, uh, at Netflix. So we went back in and it was great. Let's make it a little more blue. And, and we, we, we put that up there. And so the title you're seeing now is updated after the movie was released, which I'd never heard of before, but. You know, I think you should change amazing. it every six months to just keep it fresh. I think you're just right. To, you know. I think we should just continue editing the movie so that everyone who goes back and views it has a different experience. I think that like, you know, it's interesting that, and, and you know, with everyone that we've spoken to that's working in streaming now, which is everyone, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's not something I heard before that, you know, that you can go back and change the film and it, it'll be up live, you know, 10 minutes after you do it. Depending on who you ask, I imagine that's either amazing or terrifying that you can kind of keep tinkering with the film forever or, you know, God forbid, executives can come in and change your film once it's up on the service. Yeah. Like, um, 
it's it's a crazy thing to think about and you know it wasn't and to be fair that we were picture locked and it wasn't you know we haven't we didn't change any of the content of the movie or the edit or the length those are much more difficult changes but you know the color of a title that's something you can take over to the you know the the post house and it's a very quick you know click of a button and they can give you options of different colors and so you can decide that very quickly or very easily so it didn't it didn't change the length of the movie or the mix or the sound that would be something that yeah. you could not do in in a very quick or timely manner i mean it's it's also fresh the film you know came out streaming very recently like do you have much distance from the process now like when when you watch the film back are you just thrilled with every frame are there things that you wish that you could change like yeah how do you how are you left feeling after delivering this this monster well it's so interesting is that just talking with a friend today about the kind of the nature of this you spend you know two and a half years of your life on this uh and oh i gotta give a shout out there we just the the um the girl that was there and, and walks away from the screen there uh was Shelby Malone. She was my assistant, uh, started as my assistant, ended up as the associate producer. We wanted to put her on screen uh, to, to thank her for all of her, um, oh, that was my idea at least. But I remember this, she was more mad at me this day than I think I had ever uh, seen her be. She, I <laughs> because think she, you she were putting her in to, the film? Well, I think it's just, it was a, she, she didn't want it to be about her. She's such a team player. She really wants to be, you know, focused on making the movie. And she's like, you know what? she didn't not want to be in there, but she's like, let's not focus on me. I don't want to be, but I was like, no, I want, I want you to be seen. I want to make sure that people can appreciate you and you can, you know, your parents can see it and know that because sometimes working behind the scenes is like producers, you don't, you know, people don't get to see what you do. So I wanted to put her on screen and it, uh, she did great. It came out, came out awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, but, but going back to what I was talking about is you spend so long, so much of your life, like two years, two and a half years of my life spent on this movie. And then when, you know, when it's over, it's over and you know it's so it's now out there and everybody can see it but that that moment it's like almost like an olympic event right you're training and training and training and then that the, the competition happens it's one day that's the release and then it's over and then you kind of wait and you see and you, you you look back on it you reminisce but and there's always things you know you, i look not every frame but most scenes in this movie i look at and i go oh, i you know we could, I would have tried something here or, you know, tried. I mean, I'm proud of every scene that we did and for, for where I was as, as, as a filmmaker at that time, I'm very happy and very proud with what we did. I just, you know, always, at least I do always evaluate my performance or my, my work very deeply and just try to find out how I can do it better the next time. So I'm always, you know, every scene I'm watching and, and seeing well, what can I do better the next time I'm faced with this kind of scene. Well, you couldn't have done much better on the casting, you know, like while we've been talking about other things, we met Ovi for the first time and we're seeing um, Amir uh, on screen, right? No, not Amir, Saju, I have to say. Uh, right. Both incredible yeah, discoveries. And, like, and Ovi. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got to give credit or credit's due there. Um, we had Sarah Finn uh, was our casting director and, you know, she, she did some great casting or as far as just you know, I, I have to sign off on them, but, but, or have, have ideas of who to use, but she, we had a lot of great options. And I think, you know, even on the page, Saji was always one of my favorite characters. And when I met Randeep, you know, I was like, this guy has that thing. It's almost like he's got the, you know, the Bushido way. Like he's like a, this kind of honorable, even though he's doing some pretty gnarly things, he's doing it for like a pretty pure reason. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Life, you know, family. So uh, he always really, you know, jumped off the page to me and, and the way Randy brought him to life really, I, I couldn't have been happier. And he was he did an incredible job. And how do you find someone like um, Ovi though? Like, is this a big casting call? Like it's a, it's a lot of responsibility to put on a young kid's shoulders. Yeah, we went through hundreds of audition tapes across continents. You know, we were looking in Los Angeles, New York, Mumbai, uh, London. We're all over the world trying to find this kid. And then when when uh, Rudy uh, Rudraksh came came across our you know came across the desk and we saw his tape, we're like, you know, wait, to play that one again. And he he was found fairly early, like in the second week of like a month long process, and he was kind of the measuring stick that we gauged all the other videos on all the other submissions. And he was, you know, at that time with the performance he gave and you know what we're seeing, he was head and shoulders above the rest of the performers. And he, he really, he has this innocence and this presence that is, you know, you can't really teach it. It's just, you're going to have it or you don't. And he, he has it. And, and it was really, it was really cool to watch him grow as an actor. And I have to comment here. We're in Australia now. I'm, I'm guessing this was Chris's idea, or did you just want a trip to the Kimberleys? No, that well, I mean, the it's interesting because this and this is for you know, spoiler alert for those of you who uh, Australians in the group. This is Thailand. You know, we're we're not actually in the Kimberleys. Uh, Movie we wanted magic. to. We originally, yeah, it is crazy, right? Movie magic. But you know, we we made that decision early on when and there is there's the man himself, Chris Hemsworth. Early on, as soon as Chris got cast, um, I I made a decision because originally the part for Tyler Rake was written as an American GI, like he was an American Special Forces operative. But when, you know, when Chris got cast, I thought, you know, one, everybody loves just his voice and the way he talks. Like he's he just, he's got such a, I don't know, like this calm, relaxed confidence and this deep, gravelly, amazing voice that um i was like let's just let him use it and let's not there's so many emotional scenes that i want and so many emotions i wanted to to pull from him that i, I didn't want him to be encumbered by having to try to do an accent and so we, we decided to keep him australian and that led us to you know a lot of these australian scenes i i, I don't know if it's a conscious choice or if it's a friend of yours but one of the two like uh of the back not background actors in this scene but sort of uh Chris's partners in this moment is Wayne Blair, who's actually quite a well-known Australian director. Like, how did he end up being in in one or two scenes of the movie? That that was Chris. That was um, we he you know we thought we we really wanted to have you know somebody from like an indigenous uh, uh, person being one of Chris's friends and, and buddies that he hangs out with, and so that was you know Chris knew him from from the you know the Australia's movie scene and and he asked him a favor and he he came down and and he he did it with us it was it was awesome he's such a smart guy and it's it's for a director it's intimidating to you when you have other directors on set you know he's, but he's really smart and he was just great to work with he knew what needed to happen and if i may hear i mean we just passed chris underwater but when when he was under there when we were shooting that shot he he gave us so much to work with he he held his breath underwater for two and a half minutes oh man and the dude's we, a surfer right rolling. yeah he's a surfer so he's got you know that that kind of background and he but still to, to be under there acting for two and a half minutes 
you know, it was yeah. it was amazing. Usually you're like, okay, we're gonna get thirty seconds. Let's make sure we get what we need. But he was just he was just under there, and we he's like just you know he's like every just count me down every thirty seconds, and I would just I just sound off, and he would just stay there. You just stay underwater, Holy and crap. it was it was really impressive. That that guy was a physical specimen, but also such a great collaborative partner in the process. I could not have asked for for a better uh, better lead actor. When Chris came on board, like you know, you mentioned changing the character to make him Australian. Like, were there other thoughts that he brought to the table in terms of like um, moments, uh, themes that he wanted to bring to the fore? You know, even structural screenplay yeah. stuff. Like you mentioned, he was a good collaborator. Was there other stuff that he brought to the table? Yeah, he was full of great ideas. I mean, a lot of a lot of the look. I mean, this this idea, like the you know the, the tattoos. And the kind of the different look for the the hair and the the idea of somebody who, um, you know, was removed himself and into the outback. Where he was very kind of a, that idea was very close to heart for him, and so he you know he, he had a, a great deal to say or, or uh, input on the look of the character and kind of where you know where he's coming from. And then as well with the you know was really fascinating to see the inner workings of you know such a good actor. And I think one of the reasons he identified with this character so well is how close he is with his family. And mm -hmm. so then with, with the background of this story, of this character and the loss of a, of a child, I think it was very, very powerful and, and something that resonated with him. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons this performance is so strong in this film is how close, you know, close to home the, the subject matter was of be, not being there, you know, because he travels so much to work and he, he takes his kids as much as he can, but still there's times when he can't, he has to be away for long periods of time and, and that he's so close with them and there's such an important part of his life that I think, you know, that really on an emotional level identified or, or he, uh, yeah, identified with the character of Tyler Rake. You know, uh, because the, the listeners of this podcast are often filmmakers or aspiring ones that do like to at times get a bit technical. Like, did, does Chris have a way that he likes to work? Is it, you know, a, a lot of build up off camera and then just one or two takes? Or is it long takes? Or is it multiple takes? Like, how, how do you work with somebody like Chris? He is about as easygoing as they come. Like, he, he's the kind who, you know, he, he does, he'll, he'll rock up. I mean, he's, consummate professional he's on time early even and he's he's always ready when you need him but he he doesn't do a lot of off-camera build-up he's like, i mean he might say like when we were doing the um you know some of the more emotional scenes he's give me a second and you do and then he's in it and he's he's just very reactionary he's just very he's very in the moment he's um yeah he's not putting on a lot of stuff he's just kind of he brings the work that he's done he brings it to the set and then he just he he's present and he lets that kind of build and you know, he will do as, you know, as many takes as you need. And, he, but he also like, usually the first couple of takes, he's very, he's right in the ballpark. So he's not, he's not wasting anybody's time by needing a lot of takes, but he's also very giving in that if, you know, the other actor's not getting it or for whatever reason, or camera's not, or I'm not happy, he'll, he'll keep giving every, every take. So he's, he's just an, every director's dream to work with a, a guy like him. This whole cast truth really like this, we got a lot of them in this room, you know? Um, and no, one notable member of the cast who we oh yeah, here he comes here he comes oh, there's the beard there it is oh there it is <laughs> which was actually an this was a an additional photography uh, scene 
And that, you know, the kind of a... Just to give you a proper we, introduction? Is that uh, <laughs> to make sure that you... Yeah, well, really well truthfully, I wasn't... Yeah, the, yeah, well, that... Um, yeah, basically, yes. No, the scene, the scene was added <laughs> later to, to just kind of condense and make sure to remind the audience that be very clear about the, the mission, the goal, and the stakes. Like, what is it that... What are we going to do? What happens if we fail? What are we going into? And you know that we so we we added that in additional photography so i got a little more screen time now this this shot here one of my favorite shots in the movie one of my favorite scenes and again movie magic we shot this scene in thailand which wow. to me speaks volumes to this the amazing ability of our art department and our production designer uh, phil ivy and then nathan his his right hand man they they did an amazing job recreating the feel and the look i mean you can even like you can taste you can smell this this set and they just all of this this was an empty you know abandoned part of town and all of this stuff was brought in all the people That's all the crazy. awnings all the everything was brought in and turned so how much of the this. film did you shoot in thailand uh we shot 41 days in thailand of, of 58 so m most i mean two-thirds of the movie most of it yeah oh, so you're doing yeah, this like everywhere you're going you're kind of dressing streets to kind of fit the story you know you know you're not taking advantage yeah. of locations that are authentically you know where, where they're meant to be on screen exactly yeah i mean it's and that's part of it and, a lot, and that's kind of the crazy thing with with making movies is so much of it is based on you know schedule availability and resources and so you you know like this was a stage we built in thailand and we flew, you know, flew these great actors in from Bangladesh and from India, and you know, and this set we actually built. We we had designed the the fight action, um, and then built this set kind of around our ideas, um, and also to work with the the lighting because our, our DP Tom Siegel, who's a master at his job, he he and I were always trying to find the best way, the way to make the scene look beautiful while still, you know obviously telling the story but get it being right in there with the action because you know just because it's an action movie doesn't mean it can't be beautiful and so that's oh. we, we treated it like we and we talked about that we're like we want to make yeah we, we want to make an art house action movie where every scene is just like and we would reschedule like i would change shots if the you know the light was better or you know we'd reschedule our days based on light like so it's all about finding the backlight with tom backlight or at the you know, very least three-quarter backlight and I thought I love that because it's beautiful. It, like that shot right there, walking through the light. Like it's a beautiful image. And so, if I, as a director, can can I help in any way, or you know, get out of the way and let the one the artists do their thing, I want to support that as much as possible. So I I was very flexible with our our day. Maybe drove the ads crazy, but you know, Lee Cleary, our first ad, was very accommodating to our changes as we chased the light. So when you go, I mean, obviously, when you're going into an action sequence like the one that we're about to get, especially with your background in stunts, like you, you're very well versed in where the camera has to be to make the most of each hit or each beat in the fight. And, you know, I, I know that you will often go and sort of video board them, right? Like you'll shoot them in advance yes. to know exactly where the camera is going to be. When you're doing the, the dialogue and the build up, do you sort of bring that skill set to your prep or are you making up the shot list on the day or the night before like how are you approaching the the drama separate to the action 
No, we very much, it's a very similar approach. Um, well, I'm just going to, so since we're watching it, that was uh, Bobby Holland Hanton, the stunt double, and Michael Lair, our fight choreographer who came down those stairs together. And, you know, I love that the, the, this kind of stuff, the magic of movies, the beauty of this stuff is, you know, those guys are going downstairs with no elbow pads, no back pads. And so, you know, how do we take care of our performers? We, we use like um, high density foam and we pad the stairs and the walls and then we get in there and post with the, you know, visual effects and clean it up a little bit if you see anything. And you don't, you know, put sound in there and with that, it's just amazing. You, it allows you to get That's bigger, genius. better stunts. Take care of your performers so you get like more, more takes if you need it and just get a better performance and everybody's safe. And it's, that's where I love to blend technology and, you know, just kind of feel action filmmaking is it, I don't know, to me, that's a beautiful thing. If you can help um, people's longevity of their career, like these stunt performers, because, you know, I came from a, an era where they didn't, sometimes they would, if they had the budget, they'd put down a pad, but usually it was just <laughs> kind of on, wow. on the concrete. How, how do you like it? Hard or harder? Oh, no, that's but nasty. To, I mean, to go back. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please. You t tell me more. I mean, the, the ballet is playing out before our eyes right now. Anything you can tell us about it? It is. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to your your question of the, the prep and stuff after this action sequence because there's so many things in here that are just so oh, much please. fun. Um, oh, that hit. Oh man. You know, like that. Like like those kinds of things. You know, these guys could do. And like this, like the guy hitting the bricks there, all of these things, or this table, like, you know, being on a, um, a line, a cable that stops it, like, an, you know, a couple inches in front of the performer's face. This year, the, all of those bricks he's hitting, we've, we've padded pretty much this entire room so that these guys can hit walls and take smashes. And and then that shot, oh, this is all happening very fast, but that's Yeah, suplex. we need to watch this at half speed. I know. Well, that suplex was one of our favorite beats because we wanted to do things that, you know, we love putting the stunt performers in there and having them do crazy things, but there's also certain things that we don't want to ask them to do. And that was one where we, we actually had a dummy and we, we, you know, put, put the clothes of the stunt performer on a dummy and had Bobby the double suplex the dummy right onto his head because oh. I love stunt performers and I would never want to do that to them so that anybody got injured. And then this was actually, you know, this tension building moment and the much talked about, oh. oof, getting <laughs> raked by Tyler Rake. That was actually, that moment was actually, uh, it, the seed was planted in an early, early uh, online piece that I forget who it was. Um, I don't know what, what online publication it was for, but it was, they said, uh, the character's name is Tyler Rake. If he kills somebody with a rake, I'm going to lose my mind. And so I was like, huh, that's actually a really good idea. So I wrote it in my notes. And then when we got to this scene, I was like, told the stunt team, I was like, I want, you know, somebody to be, to eat, uh, to meet their end via rake. And we, we did uh, it. That is a virtuous this, circle right there. That is beautiful. Oh, it's so good. And this moment here, like we, we, tr what I tried to do with this kid is because, you know, there's, it's a pretty violent movie and it's, you know, dealing with very morally gray areas. Uh, a lot of these characters are doing some pretty gnarly things. So what I wanted to do is give, it's because violence here is all about perspective, who the hero is and good and bad are very much, you know, the way you look at it and your perspective. So, you know, for that kid, what I wanted to get across was just because, you know, Chris is the hero in our story does not make him the hero in that kid's story. He's the monster yeah. in this scene, you yeah. know? So 
it's, it's, I just wanted to throw that in there so that it wasn't, we're not, you know, as much violence as there is, I don't want to glorify violence. I want to show like this, there's consequences to your actions. And for him, you know, that kid, there are, there are, there's consequences. So that, that he affected that kid's life very negatively. And I just wanted to tip, you know, hat a little bit to that, just to be aware. So that it's not like, you know, we're, we're aware that we're, we're in kind of gnarly territory where we're not saying that, it's a video game where people get shot and there's no consequences. Like, yay, you know, these guys are the bad guys just because we say so. And, or this guy's the good guy because we want him to be. It's, it's all a matter of perspective. And so, it, you know, we tried to sprinkle that in there without getting preachy, but hopefully that lands with some, some astute viewers. It also sets up, you know, that Tyler has uh, some kind of moral core. You know, he draws the line yeah. somewhere and gets us on board with him. Yeah, we definitely sort of has to do what's necessary. Exactly. Yeah, he'll do whatever's necessary, but he does. There is a line he won't cross. Like this, he wouldn't do this. <laughs> but then, what's but what's so great about that in the setup, like you know, with with Joe writing the script and us talking about it, is you're you're very quickly contrasting these two: your your lead, uh, you know, um, hero, and then your lead villain of what one will not do, and right after you show the links, like the other one will do, but for seemingly like a petty thing someone stole some money from him so he's tossed him off a roof so you're very quickly establishing kind of the you know the the extremities or not extremity the extreme nature of you know this guy's world and the links to which he will go for something you know as trivial as a little money and then so then you go okay well if rake has you know taken this kid from him he's going to go to much more extreme links and that's going to get real dangerous Oh, and it's such a great scene too. So so tense and and so effective at setting up a couple of characters that are going to be quite important as it as it goes on. Um, not to get lost in the background detail, but where where are we shooting this scene, right? Because it would definitely looking out yeah. on the world here. Yeah, this is in Ahmedabad, India. This is where when we were shooting in India, this is where we shot most of our stuff. There was a little bit of time in Mumbai, but most of our stuff was Ahmedabad, and we found this great rooftop and you know, a great time of day, which, you know, it's hard shooting because we only had a day to shoot this scene. And so it's really hard to fit in because, you know, and poor um, Amir Priyanshu here, he only would get like, you know, one or two takes because the light was fading, but he was so powerful, so prepared. And you know, what's crazy. This guy, like Bengali, the language he's speaking here is not his native language. He, Hindi wow. is his native language, he, but he, you know, he was born, I, I believe he was born there like in Bangladesh, but then he spent most of his time in India and spoke Hindi for most of it. So it was not something that he was used to doing. And we had a dialect coach there and he put in a lot of work to, you know, to nail these scenes in one or two takes. It was pretty impressive. And to do it with such confidence and swagger and, and kind of oh, know, yeah. intimidating poise. And I love how, how, you know, how underplayed he is. And yet there, he just holds this tension and, you know, he did, I think he did a great job. I love his performance in this movie. He was, he was a really great find. Yeah. So like uh, go, going back to the action sequence where we saw so many things and so much quick, quick succession, like, can you talk a little bit about the, the process of putting something like that together, especially with your background in stunts yeah. and then working out all the camera angles? Like how do you build something like that? That is so complex. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of, it's um, similar. And I, w I meant to return to this with the, the uh, building a dramatic scene with fight, uh, fight scenes. A lot of the times, like I like to do, and I 
done it for years is building what's called a fight viz. And so in this case, we had a great stunt team led by Daniel Stevens, my, my close friend and the stunt coordinator on this, Thayer Harris, who was the second unit director, another close friend, and then Michael Lair, our fight choreographer. And I had a very good idea of what I wanted, but I also, you know, those guys are, you know, some of the best in the world at what they do. So I wanted to give them some freedom. So I would give them the scene and parameters of this is what kind of what I'm looking for and let them run with it. And they, you know, kind of switching the, uh, the, the positions a little bit, they would shoot and cut uh, fight scenes and present them to me. And I'd get to, you know, then look at them and say, hey, I want to try this, try that. And we, you know, we'd shift things around. And it was a very collaborative with the stunt team. And so you just, it's just a process of feeling out what's, what's best, excuse me, at that, at the time that um, this fight scene is taking place, what's the strongest way to introduce this character's fighting style? Uh, what are we saying about him? What are we saying about the movie? You know, because this is the first time we get to see him really show his skills. What do we want to show? How do we want to show it? And so it's very important and character defining to get that right. And we, you know, we spent a lot of time on it. I think we, different rehearsals for a number of weeks and then uh, he'd be shot for four days. We even went back for some pickups because it was so important to me to get it right. We just, a few things weren't quite how I wanted it. So then it's horse trading, right? Cause then you only have a certain amount of time to shoot it. And so I was like, well, you can go back for one day to get these extra beats, but we're going to have to give up something else. And so it's very complicated. A lot of work goes into it, but that's the same. I try to do with uh, you know the, the drama as well. Now, maybe not to the point cause you can't, the actor's schedules are, are, you know, you don't uh, have them as available as say the stunt team because they're not there as early in prep. But for dramatic scenes, many weeks ahead of time, the, the DP, Tom Siegel, and I were, you know, in either my or his uh, hotel room or down in, the, you know, in a, um, one of the conference rooms going through the script and just deciding, like, what, how we wanted to tell the story with the camera. What are, we, what are we trying to say? What are we, you know, how are we defining this scene visually? And we would have a shot list. And I, you know, I'd, I'd type it up, print it out, and I would try to stay... Uh, you know, at least a couple of days ahead so that we knew going in, I could pass out the shot list to the department heads who needed to know. And, you know, they would be able to prepare it, it to the best of their ability. So that, you know, if you've got, if you know the general idea of this is what we need, this is, we're going to have a crane. So you can have a crane show up on the day and we're going to have, we want to do overs. We want to do this wide shot. If you know the basic outline of your day, then you can get there and some of the best moments come from improvising on set and finding even better shots and so that was that's where to me it's it's about you fix it all in prep you you prepare 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 so that you have the freedom to adjust on the day and find the best shot for the movie Speaking of some good shots, here's a, here's a pretty badass shot of you with uh, some sort of impressive sniper rifle. So how exactly know, did right? you find yourself in that role? Like, was, was that you couldn't find someone else or you, you knew from the moment you read the script that was, you know, going to be you? No, no, there was actually, and, and truthfully, we actually shot some, um, we shot some of this stuff with a, with a different actor and um, it just... It wasn't, it didn't have the, you know, whatever that thing was that we, we needed. It was, it was a last, it was unfortunate kind of thing that we had a guy who was supposed to play that role, but then something happened with the visa process. And then it worked out that he, he couldn't, he couldn't come to be that character. And so we had to do a, a quick casting and we found somebody who was available, but then it just, you know, it just didn't, it wasn't right. And then we got back in the editing room. We're like, well, 
we're going back for some other stuff anyway. And I was, you know, we were saying, hey, maybe we should we should find someone else to, to pick up a few of these shots. And then Joe Russo was like, hey, Sam, you should play that role. And I was like, what? I've got I've got a couple other things on my plate, Joe. Like I'm, he's like, yeah, but he's like you. You'd be good for it. You should get the beard on camera, and then you'll, you know, we just it just saves us time. And why don't you just do it? I was like, all right, well, I'll do it. And so I did, and it was, you know, it was fun. But what it did is kind of gave me a whole new level of respect for actors who direct themselves in lead roles. You know, like the, you know, um, Ben Affleck's or Mel Gibson's or Robert Duvall's people that like, you know, are in the films that they direct. Because I was only on camera for three days. And it was the one of the, some of the most stressful, you know, difficult, time-consuming things that I've done. Because you've got to, you know, perform and then give yourself notes and be honest. You know, you got to be honest with your performance. You can't just be like, you know, you got to be truthful and say that, no, I didn't, I didn't get that line right. Or no, I, that's not right for the character. And then go back and change it. But it also takes time because you got to watch playback and see your, you know, like to see your performance and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't like the way you, you know, whatever moved your hand at that time. Or you just got to be very self-critical, which is a very interesting process that gave me a lot of newfound respect for actors and direct themselves. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's um, maybe fortuitous that you catch a bullet here and may or may not appear in a sequel. Right. Um, you know, it's, there's a, there's, medicine nowadays is very advanced who knows maybe i could you know, plug, <laughs> plug the hole in my head and come <laughs> personally i and, you hope know, you do come back oh well thank you that's very kind of you to say uh that was a hard one to come back from i will say that but who knows you know like maybe he's got a brother <laughs> who doesn't have such a big beard and he could come back for vengeance i don't know there's all kinds of ways. Uh, i love that that's a it's, it's like a diehard thing diehard with a vengeance kind of plot line i'm, I'm there, there for you it. go now you this know it's interesting a... it's something that we have Oh, please go. Go ahead. No, I was just going to comment on the actor that we haven't really talked about who's been in a couple scenes is, is Golshifta Farahani, who plays Nick, and how, you know, what she brought to this this film and, and the role. And I, I just wanted to make sure, I mean, I know she's going to come back and we'll get to it, but she plays, the way she handled this character is really awesome, I think. She just made it made it her own and made it very powerful. And she, you know, really gets a moment to shine at the end too, where she sort of uh, gets in the field and gets her hands dirty, which is was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I mean she she is like she's she's not shining. She's a she's a comet in the end of this. She just comes in and blows everybody away. <laughs> I mean, we're building up to kind of the the most buzzed about, most talked about sequence in the film, which we could probably do a two hour kind of conversation about just those minutes of the movie. Like, could you give us a, some? insight on like how you decided to do it all as one shot and 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 how you, were you incredibly daunted by the prospect of that like yeah where did that come from and and you know what were the challenges in making it happen yeah it was you know it wasn't scripted that way it was written as one of the biggest craziest action sequences i'd ever read on the page and you know i looked at it and kind of was like oh my gosh this reads bigger than any james bond or jason bourne movie and on our time and budget there's no way we can hold up to those standards and i didn't want it and this is where it starts it was the first shot of the wonder for those of you keeping track and then from here it we're, we're off um and we could it's so it, i can't talk fast enough or spew out enough info like every one there's so much that goes into every single one of these 
stitches and moments that it's it's kind of mind-blowing and it's you're right maybe you'd have to do another podcast just on the wonder and give us two hours because it would take longer probably take but as, as far as an overview it was not scripted that way i thought like how do we keep the action with me on main unit because as it was scripted it would have been second unit for three weeks of the car chases and main unit we'd get in there for like a couple of days with the actors and it would just I don't know, it would no longer be my action. And that was kind of what I, you know, why I wanted to do this movie. So I was like, how do we keep it with us on main unit? But also, how do we, for the time and budget, how do we fit something into the number that we have to back into? Because we didn't have a, a huge second unit schedule. So, it, you know, I, I pitched the Warner idea and it was kind of shot down. It wasn't love, but then I was like, let me, let me write it out. So I wrote the, you know, pages for it and kind of adapted the action that, um, Joe had written to a, a format of a one continuous take and he still wasn't convinced. And then I was, you know, we shot and rehearsed this, you know, and pre-visited it for weeks. And, you know, it was one of those things that it really, once it was kind of fought, all the way to the editing room, it was kind of fought against um, really? because, you know, you're trying, yeah, you're trying, you know, it's, it's risky because the, the risky thing is, is, you know, there's no control you can't change your mind. Like what you're seeing here is exactly what I want you to see. And that's it. Like I can't right now, if I go, ah, you know what? I don't like the way that car hit the other car. There is no plate. There is no camera to cut to, to make that shorter or better or different. That's it. Yeah. And so there's a, it's a very kind of exposed feeling. Right. And we, and I had a little experience with that. Uh, when I did atomic blonde, we had another, you know, kind of well, well known or much talked about Warner and, it was that kind of similar feeling of just exposure. Like you're out there for, for the world to see. There's no, there's no fixing it later. There's no, but then what's beautiful about that is it's yours. Meaning you can't, and because as operating the camera, you, there's no one else you can blame. You can't go, ah, well, the editor screwed that up. He cut out too many frames or the camera operator, you know, he missed that. And I wish I would have seen this. You, there's, there's none of that. Cause you, I shot it. There is no editing because you're just putting these pieces together. So what you, what I want you to see is all that you're seeing. I mean, it's such a strong um, creative choice too. I mean, I can see the logic why pragmatically it's the right approach because yeah. you're not having to deal with multiple setups and talking about kind of every camera angle and getting every little bit of detail to get, you know, a complex action sequence across. But narratively, it's, it's like the definition of immersion, right? Like you feel what these right. characters feel about there being no escape. Turn left, there's people there. Turn right, there's people there. You know, look behind you. Like, all right, where am I going next? Like you feel kind of trapped in this sequence with the characters. So it's a very effective choice. Yeah. And, that was, and that was, you know, once we started talking about it, once it was like, okay, that, that was, because Tom and I from very early on, we used the term kind of, um, you know photojournalism or like um like docu documentary style feel and we wanted to be in the action with the characters and so this was a way so it all just came together like not only pragmatically and, and logistically but then for us as an audience to be thrust into this situation and and the reason we chose to do it at this time is because you know is it makes sense and it's just different to see an extraction happen in real time so that you you learn what they learn as they learn it you react to what they're having to react to and so that adrenaline buildup, that 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 rush and, and even feeling tired like after it's all over you yeah. should be exhausted because they're exhausted 
And in this moment here was one of the ones that was fought against because like we lose our hero for like two minutes and we're like, where are the people? Where's Chris Hemsworth? We pay, you know, we, we were subscribed to Netflix to see this guy. And now the filmmakers aren't like, we can't see him. And, you know, but that's purposeful. Like, wait for it, wait for it. I'll give them to you now, you know? So um, Damn. that was part, right that was part of the fun. Yeah, oh, that was part of the fun. fun. Yeah, that was, and he, you know, and at this moment, there's no, it's desperation. Like there's no, you are surrounded. And, you know, if you're going to get this kid out, you got to do, you know, there's no pulling punches. Well, it's worth and mentioning too of, that not every actor could pull this off, right? Like, you know, if, no. if Chris wasn't the kind of physical performer that he is, that he could sustain these takes and like sell this action, like, you know, without exactly the right angle or whatever, whatever trick you might have up your sleeve to pull it off. Like, yep. There was another reason. This just, yep, another reason this worked out so well, and and w- you only could have done it with someone like Hemsworth, you know, or or of like skill, is that you you're not hiding anything. He he's out again. It's all about being exposed. Like he's out there on full display. His skills or you know missteps or whatever it is, it's out there, and he's so good and so committed to the process, is that he you know you just want to hang back and watch him do his thing because he's so good. Did you have to get buy-in from him to, to do this? It sounds like you needed to convince the producers, uh, you know, who are also um, heavily involved in the script too, right? And have a clear vision on yeah. how they thought yeah. this was originally going to play out. But was Chris on yeah. board? Was he an ally? Yeah, he definitely was. He, he believed in it from, from the go because he loves a physical challenge. He's a very oh, some great hands-on stuff on screen physical right now. actor. <laughs> oh my no, God. Thanks. Yeah, you're, you're in there. Here's another dummy. Whee! Ah! Pretty realistic. Wow, I, I was super happy with, yeah, pretty super happy with the dummies we had. But it, um, yeah, he was game. The whole, he was very much a supporter of this idea because it, it pushed him. Like he talked, it's the hardest thing he'd ever done action wise. And then this is a very interesting moment here because this was not, you know, originally pitched. It was just, there were more, you know, people on the roof to fight and more things to do. But we found that we needed a, a down moment, a character moment a bonding moment because that's what this whole thing is about is bringing these two characters closer together through this experience and you're seeing their relationship build and strengthen in real time and so we felt like we've got a, a whole lot of action let's take it just slow down for a beat it's not long it's just a couple seconds and give them a moment to have a little back and forth and that was something that came out on the day like we re we got there on the rooftop and we're like you know what we were we're missing an opportunity here to t- take a breath, drop a line in here that, you know, let, let some people, the release, the pressure relief valve, let it like, let off some steam. And cause we're going to build it right back up when we bring Saju in right about here. Woo-hoo! And, you know, we're just going to get right back into the intense action. So you, you need, especially in a one because you can't rely on editing. You need that pacing. You need to be able to allow the audience to breathe at certain times to contemplate what just happened you know, for example, coming up here is like so much furious action and we do this crazy big stunt, you know, we, boom. Ouch. And then right now, so then instead of cutting away and keep going, we let it breathe for a second. We check in on Obi. Now what's he doing? And then we come back down and they're in the middle of the street. We, we try to, the reality of falling from there is like, you know, let these guys recover, you know, like, and so we as an audience are like, oh my gosh, they're still going. I would just stay down, you know? Yeah, right. 
this really is such an incredible technical accomplishment like the the, you know we we don't have the time to talk about everything but sort of even with my filmmaker's eye as you're going I'm kind of going like oh man these camera moves that are only possible because a doorway is in the right place to go from behind characters to in front of characters like I can just imagine the sort of layers and layers of complexity and you're going through multiple buildings that probably aren't all actually in the same area and then you're coming out in the street and you've got to close this off like Oh, uh, it's there's a lot. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, a lot to this. Did you actually shoot a full fight viz of this, and is that something that you'd ever release or have released? Yeah, I mean, I've we did we shot um, most of it, and you know, some of it I've I've released pieces of it on my Instagram on um, the Sam Hargrave, and, and there's like you know minute or two clips of the the guys doing stuff, and we sh- we didn't do like we had. It wasn't as seamlessly um, put together as, say, like the f- fight portions are. And those we have like a six-minute thing. Like, you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll let that get out. But like the stuff that was so different and difficult about this is it did travel to so many different locations. And, and it's you know, all very location-specific, right? Which is sort of also yeah. you know, one of the layers that I'm talking about is that you, you couldn't plan a lot of this stuff until you know, okay, how far is it from this doorway to that doorway? How many people do we need to, to fill the screen time to get them from A to B yeah. and that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, and we, and we did do, like, we went out with the crew and, we, you know, we were rehearsing and we did at least, you know, walk, through, walk everybody through all of this. Like, this stuff was, we didn't just make this stuff up on the day. We knew down to a stitch like you know and every day it was like okay we're gonna get three stitches this day we're gonna get six this day because this one's shorter this one's gonna take more time we went i think six or seven different tech scouts which for a feature film is unheard of you usually get one maybe two we did seven to technical scouts with the entire crew to walk through all of the action and so everybody knew what was happening, where, where were the cars going to be, where were the background going to be, where can we stage all the gear? Because, you know, we're, we're, most of these are 360-degree moves. Or we're on a car. I have car to say, too, at this point is the bit where I thought it was going to be over, right? Like, you know, it seemed like a finishing move. This is the Mortal Kombat fatality. Chris Hemsworth comes in and, like, smashes the guy with a truck. But, no, you just kept going. It's, a, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we were just, that's, you know, it, we did. We, it's kind of like that, uh, the family guy where he hits his knee and he's just like, ah, ah, and <laughs> it, it goes on, it starts funny and then it goes for a bit. You're like, okay, now you've played out. But then if you keep going, it gets funny again. So for this one, it's like, if you keep going, that, that feeling of, oh my gosh, they're still going makes it impressive again. And so it's, it's this really fine balance between too much, not enough, just the right amount. And it felt like, you know, we, we wanted to, we were right in there and, you know, we knew we were building towards this big climax here, this big crash. And so it felt like it would be, you know, not cheating, but kind of cheapening the moment if we didn't take it all the way to the very end of the sequence. And, um, you know, we did, we got people jumping out of moving vehicles and blowing up trucks. Yeah. So how different was the 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 sort of original version and the screenplay versus how you had to change things to make it into a one Uh it wasn't much different. And the, the main thing, I think the main aversion to the one and, and by the way, at the in the end, like once once we got an, uh, editing and I, I was able to start to put some sound to it and, and mess with some things and show um, you know, the potential of what I was seeing and how much of it would be with sound design. And it was really, you know, Joe they, they jumped on board and they were huge proponents of it. I think it was just mostly, they were just waiting to see what it could be or, or having, because there were a lot of visual effects elements and a lot of things that 
if you didn't see the whole picture, it was hard to see how, you know, how cool it could be. But yeah. once they did, once I got a glimpse of that, they were fully on board, super supportive. And, um, but the, 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 the challenge, and I think the biggest um, issue for, for Joe as a storyteller was how do you weave in all the different storylines that you need to tell that story? You got Chris and Ovi, or sorry, uh, you know, Rake and Ovi, and then you have Saju chasing them, and you have the, the perspective of the, the bad guys. So how do you do that if you're not cutting to different points of view? That was where um, you know, I had to pitch the ideas of leaving main characters, you know, like when we, we, we leave, uh, uh, Rake and Ovi and, you know, we, they leave, our, they leave us and we stay with Saju. And now then we take, now we're with the perspective of the, you know, the cops following them. Like, wow, why, why are we here? Because I want to, you know, I want to know what it's like for them to be in that moment, to feel their apprehension or anticipation. And then we go back and then on the street, once we hit Chris with a car, you're like, you leave your hero unconscious in the street. Like, who does that? And so we, he's like, Sam but we Hawk, just wanted right? to play. With, That's who. Exactly. We, want, we wanted to play with our people's expectations. And then, because then we needed to also see how is Saji feeling in this? How's, what's his state of mind right now? And so it was just really important to Joe and to me is to tell all of those stories. And that was one of the most complicated aspects of the Warner was making sure all of those story points got addressed. But interestingly, that's also one of the things that makes it so distinctive because, you know, there there are a lot of people doing their version of the Wana uh, and it's a great device to stay with your characters and has traditionally been used that way. But like, it, I can't think of any other examples really that have done a epic Wana like this and shifted perspectives along the way. Yeah, that was that was part of the, the risk. You know, it was, it was very risky, um, but I like, you know, it was something that Dave Leach and I talked about a long time ago and of bold choices. It was kind of our motto. It's like, Hey, if you're going to, if you're going to swing, swing for the fences, you know, you, you might, you might miss, but if you, if you connect, you're going to put, hit it out of the park. And so, you know, who, who knows? That's up to the, the fans to decide. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of what we did, but then again, you never, you never know until, until it gets in front of the people that you're making it for and see what, how they react. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited that as many people have enjoyed it as, as have and, you know, yeah, I think the verdict really... is in from the internet that people like the Wana. <laughs> I okay, think also, okay. I think yeah, I think there's a lot of love for the Wana and a lot of love for the 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 whole movie. You've talked about um, the the Russos a little bit along the way. Could you give us a bit of the background about like how you started working with those guys and then how the idea of you directing this this project came up because it's something that they'd been working on for a while. It was like a passion project of theirs that went back a long way. If I if I know the story right, yeah, that's correct. We. Um, well, I, I first read a version of this story back in probably 2000 and I don't know, 12 or 13. It was a while, quite a while ago, but it was at the time connected to Chad Stahelski in 8711, I think to direct. And, you know, I think Russell Crowe was attached. It was called a different title, you know, and I read at the time having no idea that it would come up later, but I really enjoyed it. It was a really fast paced, heartfelt script. And I, you know, it fell through, it didn't happen. I went off to do other things. And I, I worked with the Russos for the first time on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I was the stunt double for Chris Evans at Captain America. And, and that's where we first met and kind of hit it off. And, and then they asked me back on uh, Civil War, Captain America, Civil War, to be the stunt coordinator, which was a big break for me. I, I had done, you know, big shows like the, the Hunger Games, Mockingjay or, or Catching Fire as a stunt coordinator. But this was... You know, and there was action in those movies and stuff that, that I'm very proud of. But 
this was a whole nother level of, you know, kind of the international stage of people going to watch and judge your work. So it was a big deal. And I'll be forever grateful to, to the Russos for giving me that chance. And, you know, I guess we didn't, I didn't suck too bad because they asked me back for the uh, Infinity War and, and Endgame movies. And it was on the set of Infinity War that Joe approached me and said, um, you know, hey, I've got this script. And he knew we, we talked on Civil War and then, you know, just while not filming together, I did other projects and we keep in touch. And he asked if I was interested in directing because I had mentioned it, I believe, in, in passing. And he asked if I still was. I said, yes, sir, very much so. And he's like, I might have a script that could be perfect for your first movie give it a read. So I read it and it was titled, it was a different title and it was set somewhere different, but it was still the same story of Tyler Rake saving this young kid and, and, you know, each of them saving each other. And I was like, wow, you, you want to direct this movie? This is huge. He's like, yep, I, I think it'd be great. And then we were actually going down a whole different road. And if you think about it, what a different movie it could have been. Um, but in the early days before Chris got involved, we were talking about just trying to do something different. And we were going after we were in talks with Remy Malik to play Tyler Rake. Oh, that would have been different. Yeah. I mean, cause our idea was, you know, cause when you read it is it's, um, you know, it's, it's a muscular action movie on the page, but we were trying to go really lean into the kind of art house action feel and the character driven stuff and just go do, do an action hero that people didn't really see coming, you know, it'd be something very different. And, and actually for the, for the, for the role that Harvard, David Harbour ends up playing, we went out to Mahershala Ali. So the, it, it, at some point, it's going to be a very different movie. But, you know, the way when Chris, when, uh, you know, both both of those actors went on to win Oscars, and that was why they turned it down. It's like, well, we're, we're on our Oscar campaign. And so they, they couldn't do it, which worked out well for them because, you know, they won Oscars. And it worked, you know, well for us because we, you know, ended up with, with Chris Hemsworth and with... Um, David Harbour and just amazing work. It, it worked out how it was meant to, but once Chris signed on, you know, then it be, it got momentum very quickly. And Netflix then was like, yeah, we love it. And, you know, Chris was very excited to play this kind of role that was a little, um, you know, challenging emotionally, but also physically. And it was, it was just kind of a, all the factors really just started to come together. Thanks to the, the Russos. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone is sitting at home waiting for my review of Chris Hemsworth, but I have to say that, you know, like it's easy to be distracted by how incredibly handsome he is, how incredibly physically capable he is, but he is also a like, fantastically soulful actor. Like while we've been talking about other stuff, there was that great scene in the warehouse where you see that that sort of vulnerability and that hurt and the, the, the history and the baggage that he carries with him. It's like it's hard stuff to do for any actor let alone someone that's bringing so many other skills to the table too i mean i think that yeah you you, you won the jackpot with uh, hemsworth playing tyler rake and and you know really you know landed the exactly right star to be the foundation of a franchise because you're, you're going on and making more of these right that is correct i mean we're yeah we're in talks for another one of these that people have enjoyed it enough that they you know they want more and and had a great time working with netflix working with you know joe and anthony and, and working with uh with chris and so we want to you know explore other stories for for uh for these characters and you know the speaking of the you know the kind of these moments like this this scene here is a place where we and again why i just love saju um as a character so much as you see his vulnerability in this moment and that Absolutely. you know the moment where he 
yeah, where he chooses to basically lie to his kids that, you know, just give him hope. And, and we all kind of at that moment, we're like, oh man, I don't know how well this is going to go for him, but we, we know he's in it to, you know, he's, he's risking his life and his, uh, you know, to save his family. Um, but there's something so noble about his character. And so, uh, I don't know. And then this kid here, this kid is so, so understated. And so for a child actor was so aware of, you know, what this role was and what he was meant to do. Cause sometimes you get with kids and they just, they just want to, I can be rough. The, the screen. Yeah. This, you know, they, they're, they're short attention spans and they and they really want to just do, they get a lot of energy, but this kid was one of the most subtle of all the actors of the cast. And he brought, <laughs> He did such a great job. I I just loved his his part. It was so good. I mean, and it can be uh, it can they can catch you off guard too, right? Because he's probably only doing two days of filming on the whole film, right? And you've got some pretty big fish to fry and it, occupying huge parts of a director's mind. Um, yeah, you don't want to be caught off guard when it comes to shooting that stuff and realizing that kid doesn't have the goods. Like, is it all yeah. local casting for roles like that? You're you're just looking at local acting schools and like people that know people, or how do you find a little kid like that that's going to come in and nail it when you need him to? Yeah, well, his I mean, there's a lot of great talent. I mean, in Mumbai in the all over India, they've got amazing talent. I mean, he we we found him in Mumbai, but we brought him to Thailand because we shot that in additional photography. We went back and and picked up some more emotional beats for Saju, and that kid was a find afterwards. But he, you know again, our casting director, our, our local uh, casting director, Tess, was just fantastic and knew all the ins and outs of the great, um, you know, different theater companies and, and, and uh, local talent pools. And she she dove in deep and found us the best people that, you know, that India had to offer. And India, Bangladesh, and, and Thailand, all over. She, they just did an amazing job. And even, like, in these kids, like, th- this is a, this was actually, truthfully, one of the most difficult scenes to shoot in the entire movie because well for many reasons but you're shooting at night because we're you know outsized exterior so it has this night for night now kids can only work you know six hours they can only work to a certain point and so you've got six hours over i think we had three days with these kids to shoot this epic action sequence and you know you're you're rehearsing with these kids and teaching them fights but then you have to be very careful because chris is a he's great he's a big dude you know if, if somebody makes a mistake and sometimes you said to be overly cautious because safety is coming from a stunt background is my number one concern. And yet, you know, we want to make it look gnarly and, and dangerous, but you have to be safe with these kids. And so, but only having six hours to do a very pivotal scene in the movie, six hours a night. I mean, we had like three days. So a total of, you know, it's like 18 hours to do this. Um, is, is crazy. I love that show. Yeah. You don't want those headlines <laughs> saying Hemsworth punched my kid you know, on the set of extraction. Right. And, yeah, exactly. And, and then even, th- even in the story, we're walking a very fine line between, you know, it's, it's hard to have a, your lead beat up a bunch of kids and, and still like him. And so, you know, we like this kind of, like that thing, like the open hand slap and then just being a little bit more dismissive and not mean about it. And then throwing it and this kid, I mean, this kid for Farhad is such a great actor. And this, this little guy here, he brings a little levity and comedy to it so that you can get away with like this, like just punting this kid across the alley. And then this one here, instead of punching the kid, it's an open hand slap. So it's, it's very simple, but it's not easy to hit that tonally correct. Cause if you know, if he's punching him and you're knocking his teeth out, you're like, wow, I don't know if I am on board with that, Chris, but if he's kind of slaps him and then makes that funny comment afterwards and you show that the kid, you know, isn't 
um, isn't hurt, then, you know, you're, you're kind of able to get away with it. And we, we were all very nervous about that scene, truthfully, a bit. Is it read, it read funny on the page or good on the page? But then when we got there, we're like, wow, we're beating up a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very, you know, uh, uh, high, a high wire act of the, just trying to get it right. And, you know, fortunately, you know, I, I think it came out really well. And it, it says a lot about the characters and, and where they're at and what, you know, what they're going through. Well, it's so funny how when you're putting something like this together, like thousands of little choices and big choices affect tone and affect how an audience is going to feel about a character. Because, you know, the time that you took early on showing Rake sparing that kid in the first fight scene of the whole movie mm-hmm. gets you a lot of mileage. Like later on when you realize here he's backed into a corner. And as you've said, with all the other choices that you've made, that he's going out of his way to not just, you know, put bullets in the kneecaps of these kids. Um and it's so well yeah, performed by Chris. He's got this sort of sense that like, this is just annoying. And then that great line, I think that he just said, so we just got attacked by the Goonies from hell. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah. All those little things add up to kind of create the tone that just kind of lets that stuff sail by for an audience, like, you know, without, without thinking those thoughts that you don't want them to have to deal with and be like, geez, this guy's a bit of a jerk. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, we're, we're yeah, well along exactly. for the ride. Yeah, and this was just the look of this. This again, Phil Ivy putting this set together. This was a set build, and he did such a great job. And Tom lighting it. This is one of the. I mean, they're all. I think every one of these sets and every one of these you know shots are you know beautiful because of the people that we hired to do them. But I love the way that scene came out. It's, it's also bringing those two closer together in the most disgusting oh. location you can imagine. But then you know they're having a very intimate scene where they're basically you know reintroducing each other and telling each other their names which is a which very is such a great but- and unexpected thing right it's so late in the movie to be doing that but it's so real like we, why would they stop and and sort of introduce each other any earlier it doesn't really matter until they finally have the time there i thought that's really surprising and, and endearing yeah and then and i love when david harbour shows up the movie takes a, a fun turn he's he's so good david he 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 was only there for like three days, but man, he brought he brought the goods. He's got that guy's is really really talented and fun to work with. He's got he's always something different, you know. Every take is is a new version of you know what we're looking for. It just gives you so many options. Must have been nice to just be in a house for a minute. Yeah, but you know it's so it's so funny that the it it, it is it, it, you know for the crew and everybody, but for me like the. These scenes, it got to be, um, you know, you get better as you go. But I, I remember being so more nervous to do a scene like this, like a dialogue scene with Chris Hemsworth and David Harbour, where you, know, you can't, I don't want to say hide behind, but you can't lean on your experience and expertise in action. You got to like, it's got to come from them and the blocking and, and, you know, all of the performance. So I was very, very nervous shooting with these guys um, on these days because, you're, again it's all about being exposed and vulnerable but as a director um this was i felt that way but i was also in great hands like these actors man they they trusted me and i trusted them and we we had a really great you know a really great thing going and they they just they delivered and they you know they made made me look good it's it was it's all these guys you know it must be an interesting dynamic too or, or at least a great resource to have joe and anthony like around if not on set at the other end of the phone when you've got questions about how to approach stuff were they on set every day like through the shooting of this uh they were never on set one day actually they um they were so deep in post on in game that they couldn't make it out and there was actually one of the 
I think one of the big moments for me and Chris, but we had built into the schedule that the Russos were supposed to come out for um, the scene coming up here where, where Tyler does his big confession because that was, you know, I think that the movie and the heart of the movie hinges on the success of that scene. And we all knew it. And so, you know, since it was my, my first time as a director, they kind of planned around being there for that scene just to make sure that it went well. But I think the moment, you know, I knew that Chris trusted me and we had, you know, we were a team is when I think I asked, I'd be like, Hey, are the, you know, when are the, when are the boys getting here? When are they going to show up? And Chris said, I told him not to bother. We got it. And so I was like, wow, that, that for me awesome. was just like, yeah, huge vote of confidence. And he, you know, he said that, yeah, he fully believed in, in me. And by, by that time we were probably, you know, a month or two months into shooting. So he, we had a lot of time to go through a lot of other scenes and he felt, he said, you know, hundred percent confident that we as a team could deliver the goods. And that, that meant a lot for me that uh, to me that he would have that confidence in a first time director to, you know, to, to put me in charge of such an emotional scene um, and uh, just believe that we could do it. And I, you know, I think we did. I think he, he went places that were to me was some of the best uh, work he's done as an actor uh, in, in his career. Oh, amen on that. And what a classy way to have done it too, you know, to, to have made the call himself and to, to just, yeah. To, to vouch for you yeah. in that way it's, and uh, that's it's super slick that's a great way a great way to describe Hemsworth he's classy like he's a classy guy and uh, he's a, a good friend and a good man and I, I really couldn't have had a better collaborator speaking of classy uh, this look at this location like this, exactly like it we just we actually based this kind of setup on a real uh kind of i mean he calls himself the prince of daca this is actually based on this character is kind of based on a real person and just the the lavish you know layout and the golden chairs and it, i don't know if you caught it but for so um great. in the, the shot when we're looking down the table as the kid approaches over his shoulder is a self-portrait you know like that he has <laughs> the like he's just so you know so into it so has drank the kool-aid so much but i hope the actor you know, got still, to keep that or is that a yeah, your place? He, he, no, no, no. I got I, I got acknowledged in that one of the early shots, like where they named a, the production designer surprised me the day we were shooting at the school where Ovi uh, comes out of. They named the school after me. Um, oh, that's beautiful. I, but you can't hang that in your living room. <laughs> no, that I, I couldn't hang that one in my living room. I, no, we gave him we gave him that uh, uh, picture of himself. Like, hey, you can have that. You, you deserve it. But what's cool here is, and what I you know in reading the script. And this is like the third father-son relationship in the movie. And so it's, it's really, you know, about that thematically. And the film is like how, you know, how to be, or the different ways of, you know, the father-son relationships can play out and how, and how that can affect both sides, both the father figure and, you know, the, the son figure in this, in this world. And I thought the, the relationship and the dynamic between uh, Farhad and Asif was a very interesting one. And, you know, I thought that scene did a pretty cool job of bringing them closer together as like a father-son uh, duo. Oh, absolutely. And then this incredibly tender and impressive bit of work. So you, this was a pressure point for you going in? You kind of knew that this was the linchpin moment of the, the emotional journey for these characters? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of other important places along the way, you know, that, that scene inside the factory where when they first talk and the kid says, you know, like the package in brown paper, that, that's that you're because you for this to work, you have to set it up with little, you know, little uh, things along the way, little start showing little cracks in the armor so that when he is you know, fully vulnerable in this scene, it all you're like, oh, wow, you know, I saw something coming, but I don't know if I saw this. And so, yeah, we knew this, this was the emotionally kind of the culmination of, it was the, the linchpin that held the story together. And if we, you know, if we could nail this scene, then we could, you know, we, we could hang a lot of different hats on, on the rest of the armature of the, of the story. And what's crazy is, you know, it was so, it was such a fun, but also um, taxing day. Cause you know, they're go going into emotional stuff here and I'm, I'm right there at the monitor and I'm, I'm hanging on every word, you know, even it's crazy, even on the other side of camera for Rudy here, it, when he's off camera, like when we're on Chris, Chris was so present and so vulnerable that like the kid was crying too. He's not even supposed to be crying, but he's, he's crying. We had to like, you know, use different uh, dialogue from different takes because when he was, when Chris was performing, the kid was so emotional. He was in it. He was fully invested. And it was, you know, wow. it was, it was a pretty, pretty heavy day. Like, you know, it came out really powerfully in the film, but doing it was a very, you know, after that, man, we for a couple of days, we were all drained emotionally. How long do you get to shoot a scene like this in, in, on an action movie schedule? Uh, we had, uh, I think we had a day, like a eight hour, eight hours to shoot this. I think. How did you feel about the the sort of shooting schedule across the board? Like, were you sort of feeling blessed with the number of days you had, or it was never enough time? Uh, I think as a director, you know, you rarely do you feel like you have enough time because you always want to do oh, one more take or you know. But our uh, AD staff, Lee Cleary, and all his uh, wonderful people, I think did a brilliant job. And Patrick Newell, our line producer, did a brilliant job in the scheduling and setup of this film. They, it was I was never only a few times that I feel rushed and a lot of that had to do with outside circumstances, you know, that, but the schedule was very, it was very realistic for what we were trying to do. And I, I felt like very uh, blessed to have such a um, uh, experienced and um, well-versed team in that process that, that gave me time to, you know, to do the things I needed to do. And then, you know, then also knew where to squeeze it a little bit. Like if we didn't need it, but here, look, watch for the tear. There it is. That was a real oh, tear, folks. That. that was not no CGI. The the light, like Tom Siegel or DP, lit it perfectly. It was. I mean, that was. I mean, when you see that kind of stuff as a director, it just, you you're you know losing your mind at the monitor because it's so perfectly timed. You couldn't have chosen to put it there with you know a CG tear if you wanted to. And it was just yeah. Chris really nailed this scene. I mean, I, f I fully expect that the the strategy going into something like this is to 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 wind Chris up and let him just do his thing. Like, but are you sort of pushing and prodding in different directions, or like how how are you sort of metering and calibrating kind of what you need from this moment working with Chris? If well, at all, we talked about it a lot. Yeah, well, we talked about it a lot going into it and kind of where we wanted to where we were coming from and what we wanted to get out of it. And you know, he he brought a lot to this scene. He brought a lot of. Um, you know, connection to it, you know, the, the connection to the character through, you know, through his own personal experiences and, and just a really identifying with this, with this man at this moment, you know, Tyler Rake. And it wasn't, I didn't have to do a lot. Now there were times where, 
you know, I would come in and just whisper a few things to kind of maybe just tee up his, you know, tee up the, the or set him up for, for you know, the, once we started the scene or like if we had, it's also, you got to um, monitor the, the output because it is a long day and you know, that you can't just play the entire scene from one camera angle. So he has to, we, you know, we tried to get a couple cameras in there, but he has to repeat this action. And yeah. so, you know, as hard as it is to repeat a fight scene over and over, imagine trying to be emotional for eight hours. Like that's a, that's a very taxing day. So you have to kind of, you know, help him. And he, I mean, he's a pro, but you're also trying to say like, okay, look, I think, I think we're good. And, and starting with the close-ups, you know, cause you know, like, you know, it might take a, a take or two to get into it, but then there's going to be a sweet spot where you want to be there for those really emotional moments. And then you can kind of drop back wide where, you know, that, you know, you're not going to be living in those wide moments for the really emotional parts. So it's just about pacing and, and making sure not to, you know, in a, uh, uh, racehorse term, not to run the horse too fast, too soon. So you got to pay, you got to pace him. And then when the, you know, when the time is right, you got to let up and be like, Hey, you know, this, I think we got it. Let's, let's move on to something else and not really not push him too hard. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's really right. You know, there's a for for aspiring directors. You know, you go and you read books about extracting performance and all that sort of stuff. And I think for people that haven't done it before, there's a real sense that you've got to whisper that exact right thing in the actor's ear to pull this incredible performance out of them. But a lot of the time, you're working with incredibly talented actors who have something to offer. They're going to show you, surprise you, and the the craft of directing, as you've said, is like setting the right parameters and kind of helping them do their best work. And I, I think you gave a couple of great examples for, for how you do that. Like, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a gift to, to sit at the monitor and watch Chris do what he was doing for you. Like um, it's, it's always the most uh, mind blowing yeah. part of it. I think. One of my favorite days on set was watching him do that work because you know, there you knew it was real and that that was when like we knew you had the scene is because sometimes it's hard to get there having done you know acting stuff myself to put yours to be that vulnerable on screen is a difficult thing and so for him but to see that to see and feel how raw and real it was like you knew you had you know a, a, a dynamite in in those in those shots and so that was very it was very much a relief be like oh okay we got like we got it like that that was we have what we need in this performance to really hang our you know hat on emotionally and, and ride off on into the third act with a really you know uh, emotional uh turning point for the character speaking of turning points for characters right yeah you just don't expect it I from did. david harbour what you know he's no. supposed to be the knight in shining armor that's riding in to save us exactly and what i love about it and is you know this is also a, the way he played it was fantastic but also a testament to joe and the character of this guy believes he's doing what is right he's helping his friend and so that you know when when both characters fully believe in their point of view but the points of view are opposite or they want something different you know that is conflict that is drama and that's why this scene plays out so well in my mind is like these guys it's it's so good their points of view are so strong oh super compelling yeah. and then you have the sense to go and cast like the most likable guy <laughs> as well so you can't help yeah, but be well, like what you, you feel betrayed as an audience member you're like really harbor you're doing this exactly. to us now 
it's super important. Yeah, casting is huge with that kind of thing. And and also, you know, for David, not giving it away too soon, you know, and like, but also not going too far the other way. It's a very delicate balance that he he did such a great job with. He was I learned a lot working with David. He was he was a very very talented and interesting interesting actor. We were talking a little bit before about kind of the, the the process on a on a on a sort of sensitive emotional day where you're covering off kind of really uh, tender uh, material that you'd sort of structure it a certain way. Like, do you have any other kind of like um, I don't know what you'd call them, like guiding principles about how you approach any given day on 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 set? Do you you wake up and you need three coffees to get get the uh, the motor running, and then you like to to block for everybody to see like how it would, yeah what's your directorial style like well for me i'm i, I very much you know the, my mornings are kind of breakfast alone with my thoughts and um and i like to have breakfast before going to set because i, I get to wake up early and just have some time to, to gather my thoughts meditate you know because i'm i'm kind of the energetic um leader not just telling you know people what to do or asking what to do is like energetically you have to be a leader and set the set the tone so i need to be focused and centered but also positive and you know just be and you have to be you have to read people you have to read the set you know it's it's so it's a different energy when when david walks on set than it is when chris hemsworth there and you have to be you know provide be able to pivot and provide the right environment for each person and, and you know it's it's a very interesting endeavor but for me I, I like to start with a um, a blocking rehearsal with actors to just to get a feel for and talk through the scene, especially with someone like David and Chris. They, they're going to have ideas. They're going to bring some thoughts on the blocking. And, and so you want to clear, clear it out just to just me and the, the AD and the DP and the actors. And we just kind of walk through it, talk through it, find anything that they feel is missing. And how can we make this better? Like, how do we, you know, where are we going to go? What's the general idea? And then once we've talked it through, we put it on its feet, we walk through it and, you know, then just start to get a feel for it. And then once we we feel good about it, we bring the crew in and we, we show them kind of the general idea and then let everybody go get, get ready while we I talk to the DP about any, cause you know, we've, we've shot listed before and we have a plan going in, but oftentimes that changes because we don't know. I know kind of what I want with block or what I want with blocking, but actors will bring sometimes brilliant ideas that totally throw our plan on on its head and and so you have to be able to pivot and that you know need that time to to adjust with the dp and the crew and say oh gosh well we're gonna actually master it from the completely opposite direction so we gotta flop the set you know things that come up and you have to be able to adjust but you can only be you know that flexible when you have a plan and uh yeah every every day i try to start off with the same kind of methodology of just very clearly expressing what it is we're trying to accomplish this is what we're doing and here's how we're going to do it and then, you know, then you'll allow moments like this, like this, this kid, Rudy had, again, we think talked about it earlier, but such raw vulnerability and honesty in those eyes. Like he, he really brought this character to life in a way that was touching emotionally and made my job as a director, you know, all of that stuff of setting your day up, right? Like when you do that and then you, you get these kind of results, it just makes that job so rewarding. You're like, wow, this is this is why I do it. You know, you, you got uh, actors turning in great performances, and you know, it's just a very rewarding experience to see this kind of scene come out. You know how it did. You mentioned, you know, the actors bringing something on the day with the blocking. I I, I didn't want to cut you off while you, while you were going there, but that sort of that wide shot that um, 
you get with the two actors seated on the stairwell and and Jasper seated in the armchair. Like, was that something that you found on the day? Like the idea that they'd sort of all collapse in their sort of final positions like that, or? It was. It was yeah. yeah. No, we, that the original blocking had, uh, you know, I was like, oh, we're going to be dramatic. And, and Gaspar, you know, get shot and he'll, he'll go in the kitchen and he'll knock off dishes and he'll be leaning awkwardly up against the, you know, the sink. And you're like, you know, and they were, we just blocking it. And he's like, no, I think it'd be really great if I ended up, you know, sitting down in my easy chair. And they're like, Oh, awesome. I love it. And then, and yeah. then they, you know, then Chris riffs on that and he's like, well, if he's sitting down, I think it'd be powerful. I, if I went sat, sat down with a sense of finality next to, you wow. know, and all that stuff came, came on the day. Like it, it was very different than I had blocked it and we had talked about beforehand, but it was the right thing. And that's what, one thing, this is for any aspiring directors out there is a huge tip that I learned from the Russos is always approach the the day or the the movie with the idea that the best idea always wins and it doesn't matter who that comes from like in this instance it wasn't my best idea they harbor had the idea to sit in the chair and chris then added to that by the sit over here but then you have don't be so set in your ways of how you think it should be sometimes you have to step back and see it for what it is and what they're giving you and just realize you know what this is actually this is strong and, and go with, you know, go with that. Now it has to feel right to you. You don't, you can't just go with whatever anybody else says. It's your movie, your vision, but it's just a very, it's a very emotional kind of intuitive process. If you see something that isn't how you saw it before, but it actually makes the movie better. You got to try as best you can listen to that. Yeah, that's smart. I, I mean, I love it. And it becomes such a key kind of turning point, right? As we sort of like, turn into this sort of energy that we're getting now like the desperation of like okay we've got to turn to saju to kind of get us across the line there's no one else that we can count on like it that you know it, it's brought ovi and tyler closer together and it's, it's all come out of that blocking right which you found on the day the way that they sort of like pick sides like tyler's sitting down with ovi rather than with his friend who's dying on the other side of the room um yeah no it's great it's a very classic classic all is lost moment in the in the you know writing and in directing is you got to like you know got to lose something to to turn to turn that you know turn the corner and move into that uh, third act with some emotional energy yeah which is what we're about to get a hell of a lot of like you know with everything that we've been through already like you've set the bar so high like yeah i mean how do you possibly approach act three and kind of know that you've got something left in the tank that's going to kind of blow audiences away any further? <laughs> that was one of the, one of the biggest conundrums. It was one of the hardest things. I mean, I know the, the kids scene at night was hard, but this, this third act, just kind of understanding all the moving pieces and the logic of where they're going and how they're getting there and the tension, you know, it, this was, this was a beast of a sequence. Because it does, it's basically the last 20 minutes of the movie or, or however long, and it's all an action sequence. And you're not only servicing emotional beats, but it's, it's so driven by action that like just getting, you know, all this covered, you look at what you need to do going into this and you're like, oh my gosh, we're never going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why you have, you know, it's got to hire a great crew and cast and they, you know, they see that mountain you have to climb and they step up and say all right let's do this together and and it was it was a huge team effort like when we get there we we would split up our our units like we'd have 
uh, first unit and second unit with Thayer Harris, my good friend, since we were 14 years old, he, he came out and was my second unit director. And we would be shooting simultaneously. Like, you know, while we were shooting up here in the room, he would be shooting down the street. And then while, and I'd be running back and forth between units while, you know, while they were shooting here, um, you know, driving up to the bridge, we were shooting a close the but you know Chris on the other side of the bridge or you know we were just and you'll we'll get to the when they're when everyone's on the bridge those days were insane maybe had 12 days of being on this bridge and with two units going every day and we would you will see how he set the bridge up so we could do this but and this I'm just going to comment on this shot and give a shout out to uh Marco uh uh Forker our, our visual effects supervisor because this this was in Thailand in rural Thailand so everything you see across that bridge basically is computer generated all of the ah, cityscape suddenly it all makes sense to me too because i'm like how do you shut down a bridge for the length of time that you would need to to shoot this sequence so i guess it's not yeah, a very important like it's, it's arterial so, bridge so crazy like we we went through we called this bridge 73 because we went through 72 other bridges in the country of thailand before we found one that we could shut down for you know three weeks and you know we could permit and actually do and and had the look and the you know the the infrastructure upon which the visual effects team could you know build it was crazy it was a crazy process but we we found the bridge and we you know we made it we made it work and the, yeah this sequence was a huge logistical undertaking and we couldn't have done it without our you know, Lee Cleary and his team and everybody working in concert it was amazing was it always a bridge in the script or is that something that sort of came out as you were dealing with the practicalities of how to get, get this made? No, it, 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 was, it, was always, it was always a bridge. It was just, uh, you know, finding the, and, you know, bridges are hard because you're, you're exposed. There's, you know, hard to shoot on, hard story-wise, but it was important to this story with the kind of visual thematics of water uh, that we, you know, a bridge over water was very important to the story to, to me to the visual story and the language i wanted to use well it's also like um it feels like fresh territory for the film too where like you know in the middle where we've had this sort of epic wanna where it feels like every nook and cranny is 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 an available opportunity to, to sort of focus this down to a bridge and suddenly to have nowhere to hide uh yeah it just it it, it, it gives us something new to the palette of the movie in a way that i think is sort of just tension building that's really, uh, really yeah. rich and fun. Yeah, that was, that was the idea. There was our little Sergio Leone uh, Western standoff, quick draw moment that we wanted to get in there to. Ah, so that, good. Uh, Randeep, Randeep and I, you know, were very much um, into westerns and kind of having this, you know, the, basically this story is like the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, and and we we just loved chatting about westerns, and he, he actually took me horseback riding, and he's a he's a an Indian cowboy that one. Um. But he really, like, it's so awesome to me that the energy, like, it's it's calm and calculated and yet desperate. It's, he, he really nailed this kind of character in this position and the, the mannerisms and the, the movement. And he just, he just put in a lot of work. And I think he really took this sequence to another level. So those sorts of wide shots that we're seeing there, is that, is that, a plate with a bridge added or is that a completely created digital environment yeah that's it's a little bit of all the above like the, you know that's that was plate shots of the bridge and then we did some you know footage or uh, some 
photography and shooting in in actual Bangladesh so we could get the you know surrounding environment so a lot of those buildings are real well real elements that we put into that scene um and then yeah and like this you know this this all that stuff down all these boats all the going on there is all digitally added because you know we had to make that we couldn't afford to you know for the time and to shut down a, a city bridge so we're like well we got to put that money to in the visual effects land to to you know build it after the fact so it was really um you know you just had to be very aware of the direction you're shooting and understanding what part you know of the bridge is this what time of day is it to get all these plates and it was really you know a fun but complicated uh, puzzle to, to solve and the chopper is cg real uh combination this this chopper this is real like we brought in you know we, i wanted to make as much of this as real as possible like all this stuff is real you know we're we're it's real firing the, i mean they're not live rounds but these explosions are real you know we've got our uh stunt doubles in there and uh, you know this the, the helicopter is real this this is a real chopper and, was, and the reason you get away with you know with with movies like this when you need to you know like you, you're not going to crash like this helicopter crash coming up this moment here this big moment for for nick you can't you know shoot down a real chopper so and i do and i like i prefer things to play out in kind of longer takes without a bunch of choppy cuts to hide things so but you set that up by or like this this is all real this is a real chopper real guys in it and they're doing this this stunt for real like the guy the the you know hovered right above the bridge they hop off a real chopper so you just use as much real um you know interaction with real practical choppers and cars and stuff so that when you slip in a you know well designed and well built cg element your mind is so used to the real thing like this real real chopper it's all real and so that when you get to this moment here you can you know you you get away with the you know the the digital chopper like so this now is a digital chopper that this is real but this is real and then we're now we're switching between real and not real like this now is not a real chopper because obviously you're not going to do this with a helicopter um but then in this moment here we actually dropped a, a burning buck they call it, like part of a helicopter into the river so you get that splash and interaction so it's really that's how i like to use visual effects to where you know the trained eye would probably could could know but like when you're watching it and you're invested in the story you're not going to know um you know just like these muzzle flashes these aren't real these are these are post uh, muzzle flash effects but because you know you do have others like this like this is real you're mixing and matching so you you know and that allows you i think for as a, an audience member to just to go along for the ride and not be distracted like if everything was cg it would get distracting but then if everything was practical, it might hinder you from some of the cool shots you want to get. So it's, it's really understanding technology and the kind of movie you want to make and then trying to best blend those so that it doesn't draw attention to itself. You talked before about um, multiple cameras and multiple units and the action that you're filming on the bridge. So how, how were you breaking that up and, and how many cameras did you have running at any particular time? uh well we we like on days like this we probably have six cameras running meaning three of like usually i was with hemsworth like wherever he and he had a schedule we had to shoot him out and wherever the actors were i tried to be but there were sometimes like this whole bit with um 
like I'd come in for these dialogue beats with with Nick and and I'd bounce back and forth um but like you know all of this I'm with Chris we got three cameras going you know I'm, I'm with Chris on this side of the bridge but while we're shooting this the you know second unit is over on the other side of the bridge with Nick and her team getting their arrival and getting a lot of the shootout and a lot of the you know the bad guys getting shot and so we're you know we're mixing and matching so that we you know blend these those two uh bits together and what's great is Claire and I have known each other long enough that like where you know my style ends and his what he shot begins you can't tell the difference because it's you know like this he shot this like this all the action with the doubles like this stuff he shot he shot all this stuff which is awesome and I, I watch it and I feel like oh yeah I, I directed this but I didn't I mean I was there helping him you know we'd storyboarded things or fight visit it's all been approved but he's making these decisions you know he's he's telling them to go again or to cut like this i love this stuff oh, that's, wow, like, that's great so so uh, you know creative and thoughtful and again you know they're not running their own race down there but they are because they're so strapped for time they'll be like hey this is our idea and i was like great i love it shoot it and then they'll send me playback and i'll look at it and go yeah that's great maybe try one where you know whatever he's a little uh less hurt or try one when I, if i get in there maybe he's struggling even more i, I ask for options and they 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 oblige because they're oh, you know, they're pros. Nice work. Yeah. Nice work. It's intense. It's intense. And it's just so, this is you what, watch. Go ahead, mate. Sorry. No, I say this is where we, uh, um, Randeep and I talked about. You know, just he's like a bullfight. It's like the bull in a bullfight at the end, where he just will not go down until oof, this moment. Until then. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. And brave. You know, like so unexpected and like a character that we've really come to like and be invested into for him to go down like that. I, you know, he gets a reaction from the audience and I guess that's what you want. Yeah. 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 So you were talking about second unit and obviously the, the close uh, relationship that you had with that director. So did, were you looking at rushes at the end of the day of your own work or of his work? Um, or was there never enough time and you're just sort of plowing ahead? No, we would. We would definitely go. We had, you know, we'd watch dailies. And then sometimes we would, um, with this stuff, we definitely did. And we had, you know, we had two. And this this shot here, again, all of that stuff, the, the smoke is real, the bridge is real, and those trees are real. But everything before that, all the stuff on the left side, all that cityscape is all added digitally. Um, so, but we we would have two editors who were working kind of around the clock to to cut together this footage because we only had a certain amount of time we had 12 days to get everything we needed because we couldn't keep this bridge a day longer so we had editors working around the clock cutting rough cutting these sequences together so we, so i could look at them at the end of every day and make sure that the story we weren't forgetting anything because we we're so many different points of view like this whole sniper bit in you know, this back and forth you know how do you you tell that story in the most effective way. So it's just, we had so many th stories going on at the same time. We had editors cutting it together around the clock so that I could look at it after, you know, or 12 hour day of shooting, I'd go into the you know, editing room. It was a hotel room at the, you know, the place we were staying and I would sit with them for a couple hours and look through and just be like, okay, let's make sure we got this. Or, you know, they would give suggestions. They'd be like, Hey, you know what? Gosh, we could really use the close up for this moment. And I'd be like, okay, make a note. Because then I got to go add that to our next day's work and find how we're going to get that. Do we even have, you know, this part of the set anymore? Have they taken away that car to prep it to blow it up? You know, all the little details that go in. And, and so having them edit as we went was extremely um, 
valuable so that we could make sure we had all that we needed. How close was what they were assembling like to what we're seeing now? Like, uh, it's very different because you know they're an assembly. They're they're throwing all of the, you know, we shot because again, like on most of these things, you've got three cameras running, multiple takes. So you, there's, I mean, a lot of footage, and they're putting most of the angles in. So it's it's just it's way more than you need. But that's you know when you're telling the story. And see that that I love because we were mixing practical effects. Like that was a dummy. We had a dummy built of the actor, and then we had special effects do a practical squib, you know, for his head. So you're mixing a lot of CG blood hits with practical, so that it just starts to, you know, for me, I like those kinds of blends of the of the practical and the CG to make it feel real, or you don't know exactly which is which, you know. Ah, it's. Um, nasty stuff and like you know it fits so well with the the makeup effects that we haven't had a chance to talk about that's going on throughout this whole film like what we're seeing yeah. here on chris's face is just what adds impact to what they've gone through right yeah i mean the every I mean, the the makeup department the wardrobe department hair everybody it's like even though the details of dirty fingernails like that that's the kind of thing that just really adds character and depth to these moments you know it's it wouldn't be the same if you, you look at he's all bloody but his fingernails are clean you know like it's it's like a these little details that a lot of people don't think of it's so great to have you know people who have the same vision and same level of attention to detail that you have or that you want it's really you know it's it shows in the product that the crew did such a great job making this come to life and we're watching the film without sound, of course, but the the music is incredible too. Yeah, I mean the the music, the sound design that was a huge part of it. Henry Jackman, um, and like it was, he and his his team put together uh, a pretty killer score. And we tried to give, and it's very subtle, but we tried to give each uh, character their own theme, you know, so that we could, because that's something in, in movies that I love and and always wanted to, to revisit and um it, it just it just adds a subtle layer that you may not notice but you you feel it you know and that's, that's something that i want to try to address um yeah and then, and then the sound design because you know you're feeling these bullets whiz by and the impacts and the gunshot you just want to feel like you're in the the gunfight with these characters how does it feel like, because obviously this is a big old, big Netflix film, like it's never going to be in a theater per se, but like when you're mixing it, are you, you, you're you sort of doing it for surround sound and doing it in a big old room, I'm sure? Oh, for sure. No, we, we, we shot it and edited it and did sound everything as if we were going to have a theatrical release, just, just because, you know, Joe and Anthony and all, and myself, all, all the people that worked on it, like we're, we're, the same reason we chose the the, the two four or two three five format like we we could have knowing that it's going to be on people's you know tvs or computer screens or phones could have gone with like a 16.9 format or a or 185 like a different widescreen format but we went full cinema mode because we're fans of cinema and that's how i think it gives like an epic scale it changes your framing and how you kind of stage things so we really wanted to go um all out with this and 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 you know, and I've I've heard I've seen it I've heard it in a, in a uh, cinema, and it's it's pretty it's pretty powerful. Uh, I mean, but it's a testament to everything that you guys have done and the decisions that you've made. That for those people that 
choose for whatever reason to watch it on a phone, uh, I'm sure they get a hell of a, you know, a lot of the same impact, you know, uh, it, it, it's just powerful stuff. These performances and the choices that you're making at every turn, like, yeah, I'm sure it works at every scale, but this felt to me at least like the first time that Netflix had really done a genuine blockbuster you know, at every level, like they've, they've had big movies. The Irishman is a massively expensive film, but it's not kind of what you would traditionally think of as a, as a blockbuster. And like, this was the sort of first taste of people getting that at home. And it couldn't have come at a better time too, because, you know, it was at least just the beginnings of people not being able to get out um, to, to the movie theaters because of, you know, coronavirus and all of that. But um, yeah, it was yeah. a, it was a big event in my household. That's for sure. Well, I'm glad that you know we we that's what we we wanted it to be. We not um, you know could have couldn't have foreseen the the you know the state of the world when we were making it, but we we were making it to as to be an event to be like a you know a big movie that was that was all all of us come from working on big movies and 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 love that kind of um, spectacle of cinema and so we really wanted we, and because a lot of people do have you know they've got hd tvs and, and you know big screen computers and high definition phones like i feel like it still would translate and could translate to you know to that to that medium of netflix and i think i think it did it had, and i've heard that from a number of people and I, and I appreciate that very much that it was kind of a, a theatrical experience because that is what we were hoping to do so that you know again i I just appreciate people, uh, you know, uh, responding as positively as they did to the to the effort we put forth. And so, can you tell us a little bit about the sequel and kind of how soon that may be happening? I mean, I imagine there's not a lot you can tell us, but I'm sure everyone is as hungry to, to hungry to hear anything that you can. Yeah, well, I mean, at this moment, I don't have a lot just because Joe and I are breaking the story. Like, you know, we're outlining and try, trying to find what is what is the best story to tell, uh, what is the best, um, you know, time frame, what is the best uh, location. Because, you know, you want to you wanna give people uh, what they enjoyed about this movie. You know, what, what is the emotional hook? Like, what, there's a lot of things that have to be sorted out. You can't just go like, oh, people love the attraction. Let's give them more of the same. Because a sequel was a tough thing because you want it to be you do want to honor the original and the spirit and then kind of tone and feeling of it but you want it to be that plus a little bit more but not necessarily just more action or, or more emotion it's got to be its own thing and yet still uh, in you know in this universe and, and and staying true to what the the dna of the project is so we're we're, we're working hard to to find that at the moment and you know we're excited at and a lot of it depends on the, you know, the world opening up and, and where we stand with the, you know, the state of things. Cause we, we'd like to, to fast track it obviously and get, get going cause we all want to get back to work, but we don't know exactly when that will be. And, you know, when people's schedules will open up and there's a lot of moving parts to these kinds of things, but we're trying to, to get it going, you know, as soon as possible. Yeah. Well, uh, add me to the, the very long list of people that can't wait to see uh, what comes next for Tyler Rake and also from you. Like, do you, are there other projects that you're working on? Like other ambitions that you have? Are you planning to do a musical next or is, is action the space that you <laughs> want to sort of be in forever, forever more? Uh, well, I, I do want to expand my horizons. You know, I, I believe action is in my DNA. It's something I've always loved. And I, you know, I, um, it really, 
I don't know, speaks to me. And I, I think we, we action and I communicate well. So I, I think the next one will have some action in it, but I'm, I'm, I'm open, right? I'm just looking for stories that need to be told and, and films that have, you know, very um, kind of a deep, uh, thoughtful character uh, characterizations and, and very primal needs of characters that just tell a great story. And I'm, I'm looking for those right now, reading a lot of scripts and even in writing. So, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure what's going to be next, but I'm excited for, uh, you know, to get in there and, and roll up my sleeves and, and present that next movie to the world. Well, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us about, about this one. It's been a real privilege and uh, I've certainly learned a lot and I'm sure that the people listening at home have too. Thank you so much, mate. Well, I appreciate it. And I, I, you know, sometimes I ramble, but I tell you, I get excited about this stuff and I love talking about it. The process of filmmaking is exciting to me. It's something that I, I love and I'm constantly learning about. So thanks for the opportunity to, to share my, my passion and enthusiasm for the process of filmmaking. You mentioned your Instagram. Is there, is there anywhere else that people should look to find you? Are you on Twitter or, or anything like that? No, I don't have a, I don't have a Twitter handle. I'm, I'm most of my uh, social media is handled through, through Instagram. Uh, it's the Sam Hargrave and uh, yeah, you can, I do, you know, I update, try to keep it fairly recent of either what I'm doing or what I've done in the past, just so people can kind of get a feel again, a lot of behind the scenes stuff and, and, and just what's happening with, with the movie or with my career and uh, just try to keep people, keep people updated. Well, thank you again, mate. It's been a, a real privilege. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Well, Grant, what a show. And special thanks to Sam for taking the time to you know, give us all, all of that glorious information, talk about the process. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, Sam gets a lot of props and rightfully so for this incredible, like, you know, 28-year oneer that's in the middle of this movie. But I just want to point out that I just did a oneer of the whole movie. That conversation was unedited, Dave. <laughs> that was one take all the way through. Well, you know, we've largely been doing this every week, Grant. So, you know, like, you know, I, I don't think we, I, what I you're saying. Don't I think we get enough props. Yeah. No, I, I want to ask you a question though, Dave. Is there, is there a breaking point? Obviously not in this film. I love the one. It's the centerpiece of the whole thing. But, do, you know, how long can a wanna get? Like, would you watch, I mean, 1917, I guess, is the answer to that question. And I love mm. that movie. You largely just answered your own question. I'm not sure how I even am bringing anything to the table on this one, Grant. You're, you're laying down the questions and you're bringing the answers yourself. I'm not even I getting know. a look in. Hmm, wait a minute. I know how I can <laughs> cut the budget of this show suddenly. <laughs> this is going to be a far more profitable enterprise. <laughs> well, I think that is it. We've come to the end of our show, unless you've got something else to add. Uh, only that it was, as every week, just listening to the filmmakers, you know, like dissect their process listening to you talk to them and ask them the questions and you know getting all these little nuggets of information i'm uh, as you know oh, i wouldn't say i'm an unwilling participant i'm a willing participant here but i'm the silent little viewer i'm, I'm for the first test audience for every one of these podcasts and i gotta say it is it's given me the warm fuzzies to hear all these little nuggets of information you know like i feel like i'm part of a little secret club here that's, well, you are at least until we start releasing these things, well, which yeah, by would... the time that anyone's hearing it, we'll, we'll have released them, which will mean that we also have a catchphrase to end the show with, but we don't currently. No. Uh, but, you know, please still submit those catchphrase suggestions to our Instagrams. Uh, you can find me at Grant Sputori. And you can find me at Is That You, Dave? The show even has its own Instagram now. That's how fancy we are. We are at The Commentary Cast. Feel free to stop by, drop us a comment. 
maybe suggest a catchphrase or another film that we could feature on the show. And uh, this podcast should be coming to you from all of your favorite uh, podcast downloadable places. But if it's not, suggest others to us. But in the meantime, you should be able to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever. And feel free to drop us a review. It will really help us uh, find that audience of more than just me. You know what else I found has worked, Dave? Just telling people about us. Telling the world about the commentary cast. Spread the word and we'll be back soon with another very special guest. Until next time, insert catchphrase here.